as hell and I wanna get ill So I go to a place where my homeboys chill Fellas out there trying to make that dollar I pulled up in the 6-4 Alright everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Bored as Hell podcast I'm Adam McDonald with Big Shiny Robot And I'm Andy Wilson, also Big Shiny Robot and we hope all of you had a uh, Merry Christmas, and those of you who are doing Hanukkah, Happy Hanukkah. I think we're, what, day three happy or four Hanukkah. now? Some, somewhere around there. Yeah, well, well whenever this, this episode comes out, it'll be, yeah, night three or four, somewhere in there. Happy yeah. Hanukkah. You got a few more nights. You got a few nights past you. <laughs> a couple, couple more nights <laughs> to go to have fun and love the menorah. But uh, this uh, actually, this is kind of a, a big episode for everyone. It's kind of a gift. We've got uh, five movies we're going to be talking about, uh, some probably a little bit quicker than others. Um, but the first two, uh, we got uh, Sing, Assassin's Creed, Fences, Why Him, and Passengers. Now, I had to work through all these screenings uh, for uh, both Assassin's Creed and Sing. So, Andy, where do you want to start us off with those? Yeah, you didn't miss much. Let, let's start with Assassin's Creed. Convenient haystack the movie. <laughs> oh, jeez. I wit. You know, there wasn't was there a even haystack? a convenient haystack. Are no. you serious? That's like I the mean, whole... Oh, yeah. shame. There were some haystacks in this movie, but no one jumped into them. No one hid in them. So, shame. yeah, that was... That was a, a little a little bit maddening. And and that's part of my problem with this movie is it seemed to take the source material, the Assassin's Creed video games, and while it caught some of the spirit of it, it really didn't catch all of it. This continues a long, long line of bad video game movie adaptations. And I don't know what the problem is. Actually, this looked like it might have broken the streak. It's certainly stylistically very much like Assassin's Creed, and they get the main parts of the storyline right. The problem is, if you come in right off the street and you haven't played any of the Assassin's Creed games, you are going to be so confused. Michael Fassbender plays a dual role of a convicted killer named Cal Lynch, who uh, finds himself brought back from the dead after his lethal injection and told that he is at the center of a centuries-old battle between the Templars, a secret society devoted to order, and the assassins who try to break down the Templars' attempts at order and fight for freedom. Now, a long time ago, the assassins had a mystical artifact known as the Apple of Eden, this is something that people who played the game will will be familiar with if you played Assassin's Creed 1 or 2. He is supposed to get hooked up into a computer called the Animus, uh, which looks like a big old crane, and he gets suspended from it, and he gets to move around and uh, helps unlock his muscle memory, and the memories of his ancestors stored in his DNA teach him how to become a master assassin and lets the, the Templars who are watching him figure out where his ancestor might have left this apple of Eden. Uh, this ancestor, uh, who is also played by Michael Fassbender, is a 15th century assassin during the Spanish Inquisition. Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition! Yeah, <laughs> Sorry. Indeed. Sorry. <laughs> Nobody expects them. And it's it's actually a really cool story. And again, devotees of the video game series will be like, oh, that's just like this level this action scene is just like that level yeah that's that's what it sounds like to me like it's when you're explaining everything because i haven't beaten all of them but i've played pretty much every single one in the series since the very very first one and this sounds like something i would just absolutely eat up because it's got everything i'm looking for in 
an Assassin's Creed movie. But yeah, even people who love the series, you included, are saying, meh. Yeah, the, the problem is how I explained everything does a much better job of telling you what's going on than the actual exposition of the movie. About a third of the way through the movie, Michael Fassbender's sitting there and he says, what the F is going on? <laughs> and, and it's the one the one PG-13 uh, F word swear in the entire movie. And I'm like, yes, Michael Fassbender, I agree. Because if, if I hadn't played the games, I would have no idea what's going on. Uh, the exposition is totally hackneyed. The uh, the emphasis is on the action sequences and style over substance. And uh, the director here, Justin Kurzel, who teamed with Michael Fassbender on last year's Macbeth, which also emphasized style over substance and big action sequences. Uh, side note, it also featured Marion Cotillard, who is also in this movie. And uh, it's like they just took kind of the same main cast and the same director and the same basic problems. Instead of nailing what's really, really good about the source material, you end up with something that is stylistically really cool and kind of neat to look at, but doesn't go much in the way of actually delivering what you need a movie to. And while a video game can get away with very thin characters because you're supposed to put you in the place of the main character and, right. and play through them, you can't do that in a movie. And uh, that's that's the real problem here. So good attempt, neat to look at, but essentially this is like playing a not very fun tutorial level and uh, opening cinematic of a of an Assassin's Creed movie that I might actually be interested in playing if it were a video game. So speaking of disappointment, we also have the <laughs> children's animated movie Sing from Illumination Studios. And this is essentially a bunch of cartoon animals getting together and doing a big talent show, uh, kind of American Idol karaoke. Like you do. Like you do. Yeah. And uh, the, the cast is led by Matthew McConaughey, who plays a koala named Buster Moon, who is kind of a, a flim flam man theater guy who he's got to put on a big show to help save his theater. And so he says, well, let's let's put out a, a talent search and a big cash prize and hopefully we'll bring in a bunch of people and we can get everyone uh, to perform. So, so here's your cast. You have Reese Witherspoon as Rosita a pig who is a uh, a housewife overburdened by her housework. Seth MacFarlane as Mike, a mouse who is essentially uh, channeling Frank Sinatra. Scarlett Johansson as Ash, a porcupine punk rocker with a chip on her shoulder who of is yeah who is berated by her semi abusive boyfriend. John C. Riley is Eddie, a sheep who is uh, Buster Moon's best friend, who is kind of the financier. Of a lot of his work, Taron Edgerton plays Johnny, an ape who is uh, a member of a crime family and uh, is caught between either working with his dad and being in the gang and helping out with heists or being in the talent show. And Tori Kelly plays Mina, an elephant who is afraid to sing on stage, but of course has the most beautiful voice of all of them. There are some other people uh, who who also show up in this movie. Jennifer Saunders has a bit part. Peter Serafinowicz. Uh, shows up in, in bit parts. And, of course, Nick Kroll as Gunther, an annoying German pig who 
uh, while not as annoying as his turn as the douche in Sausage Party, is is one of the more maddening parts of this movie. This plays out exactly as you expect. It, it's bright, it's colorful, it has a soundtrack that won't be annoying to middle-aged people taking their young kids to go see it. <laughs> Essentially, they're they're picking a bunch of 80s songs and uh, and early 90s songs and uh, and then some of your your more top uh, bubblegum songs like uh, your Taylor Swift and your uh, Call Me Maybe and and that's about it. But it's just so completely predictable and there's no real new ground tread here. Kind of sad. And one of the things that that most bothered me was they continued to reference the the song Golden Slumbers by the Beatles which is one of my absolute favorite songs of all time. And I'm just like, why do you have to keep playing that? Because now I would much rather have just like sat and listened to Abbey Road for an hour and a half, uh, <laughs> listen to it like two, three times in a row, then watch this movie. Uh, so it's it's not the worst thing in the world. There's, there's worse kids movies out there. But yeah, four and a half out of ten. It's, it's just nothing nothing great but it's also not i mean but moana is out there why would you go see anything right. when moana is still in theaters i i don't get it and they've been pushing this film for a long time because they did uh i mean we started seeing trailers back in like july and then the studio reps were doing a lot of things where they were like hey when you go to the screening you can bring as many people as you want uh they did a special one um actually it was across the whole country where the first 200 people to show up on one Saturday in November was able to get in and go see it for free. So they they pushed this really, really hard, and then it kind of just went nowhere. Yeah, well, I will I will give it one thing. My 11-year-old daughter, who loves to sing, loves it very much. So okay. they, they know how to entertain kids, but in terms of it being a really great film, it's just kind of there. And, and even if you're a fan of the other work that Illumination has done, uh, Secret Life of Pets was very good. Uh, the, you know, the Minions and Despicable Me movies are, are great. But what I kept going back to in this was, I mean, this is a movie about anthropomorphic animals. And we've already had one of those this year called Zootopia. Mm-hmm. They did it infinitely better. <laughs> yeah, everything Zootopia did right, Sing did wrong. And everything Sing did wrong, they did right. Uh, yeah, they kind of play up on the animalness of some of the animals, but they they never really take it that that far into it. And so it's like, well, why even have animals in the first place? You're you're yeah. not really doing anything other than oh, the, these will be cute. Yeah, there, there's just no real there there, and and that's a little bit annoying. But hey, what? everyone picked up a paycheck and and got to sing some songs, and it's <laughs> not the worst thing out there. Yeah, but Illumination seems to do that. I mean, Secret Life of Pets was, a for me, like a rare bright spot for them because they did Despicable Me in 2, um, which I enjoyed, but Minions, like, I like the Minions, I think they're funny, but that movie showed that Minions work best in 30-second doses, not in a full hour-and-a-half movie. So, I don't know. I, just, I, I know a lot of people who are getting really annoyed with Illumination, and I'm not quite there yet, but I can see how, like you were saying, there were just things here that didn't make sense, and we're only done for the sake of being cute so it's like why bother yeah it, so. it's just really predictable there's you know exactly where this movie is going even before it does i mean if i had to tell you hey there's a singing contest with cute animals what do you think is going to happen by the end uh you could probably paint yourself a picture of what is going to happen with the plot mm -hmm. and it more or less happens and then everyone learns a lesson in the end of course everyone learns a <laughs> lesson in the end it's a kid's movie 
Sure. Uh, speaking of learning the things that don't learn a lesson in the end, uh, we've got Passengers. So Passengers is a sci-fi movie starring Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence. This was actually one of the, the scripts that sat unused in Hollywood for years and years and years. Uh, and there were people, you know, like George Clooney for a while was attached to it and just kind of fell through. But we finally have it now. And the basic storyline is that this is years and years in the future. And we have now started colonizing other planets. And uh, there's the starship Avalon. It is traveling on a voyage uh, with 5,000 colonists to this new planet, Homestead 2. Uh, a journey so far from Earth that it takes 120 years to get there. So to make sure people aren't, you know, aging and dying on their way to this planet, everyone is put into suspended animation. Well, they're going through a big asteroid field, and something happens, and for some reason, one of the pods opens, and it is Jim Preston, a mechanical engineer, played by Chris Pratt, who wakes up and thinks, oh, hey, I'm, I'm ready to go, because what's supposed to happen is four months before you reach the planet... Everyone wakes up, but then it's like a cruise. You get you know, bartenders, there's booze, there's food, there's entertainment, there's video games. And just kind of everyone have a good time before they get to the planet and become colonists. Suddenly he realizes that, uh, oh crap, I woke up 90 years too early and I can't go back to sleep. So I'm going to die on this, on this godforsaken ship. Uh, the only companion he has is a robot bartender named Arthur, who's played by Michael Sheen. Uh, and the movie, for the first half or so, chronicles him just trying to survive and not go crazy and then he kind of makes a bad decision he uh is in the pod room and looks down and notices this very lovely uh woman sleeping played by jennifer lawrence her name is aurora lane and i hope you got the disney reference there yeah sleeping beauty yeah it was a, a little a little on the nose <laughs> yeah and so he decides to do the unthinkable and wake her up 90 years before they get to the planet which pretty much means he kills her if you think about it in the long run, that's he sentences her to death by old age with just him and her, but he doesn't tell her, and the two kind of build a relationship and kind of fall in love, and then eh, it just goes from there. So, uh, Andy, what do you think about this movie? I thought this was really great. I mean, the only people you have on screen for almost the entire movie are those three people who you mentioned, and it's a lot of Chris Pratt and... Mm -hmm. A lot of Jennifer Lawrence and a lot of I mean, Mike. A lot of Chris Pratt. I would just say it'll make you, you, all the females in game men happy. <laughs> you, you do see a lot of Chris Pratt in that. <laughs> Michael Sheen. Uh, later on, when when they're having a conversation, he's like, "Oh yeah, there was an entire month he didn't wear pants." <laughs> so uh, we we will just let that one land. And, and we will and say that for that uh, Jennifer Lawrence fans, uh, there are some. Uh, very strategically placed elbows in certain places. So there, there's some here for everyone to kind of look at. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this this was a very stylistically cool movie. And, and the thing that I kept thinking about was the Starship Avalon was very much like the ships in WALL-E, except that yeah. the people aren't grossly obese and unable to do anything. They're supposed to get up and walk around and, and have fun. And everything's kind of provided for them. So it's like it's not like Chris Pratt is ever going to starve, but he has to figure out how to survive and, and stave off the boredom with just a robot to talk to. And that is uh, very daunting. It, it, it's a and that's, very that's the interesting best part of the movie, for me at least. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, and it's an interesting moral question is like, what do you do in that situation? I mean, you could you could take yourself out. 
you could kill yourself and just be like, I'm going to die anyway, so I may as well do it now. Or you could continue living, but live your entire life alone for the, re- for the rest of it. Or do you wake someone up? And do you try and start a romantic relationship with them? And do you tell them about what you did? That That is a very bad moral decision to have to make. And and I think this movie wrestles with it very well. I And I think that it doesn't let any of the characters off the hook, even though some people will complain about the ending. I kind of have some problems with the ending. We, we can talk about the ending in a minute, but yeah. Adam, tell me more about what, what you thought. So I we walked out and, you know, it was... I was talking with some friends, and my thing was I liked more than I didn't. But, yeah, there, there are some problems here. And uh, sadly for me, Jennifer Lawrence is one of the problems. I mean, Chris Chris Pratt slides into the role. He does a great job in the first, you know, third to almost half the movie when he's buying himself and trying to stay off that boredom and trying to do anything he can just to keep himself busy or, or trying to break into the crew room where the pods are there so he can figure out what's going on. That's all really interesting. But then when she gets brought into it and... It's almost like she goes from being fantastic to really shrill. And I don't know if that was just because the director wanted her to take the part that way. But she's a really good actress. I mean, obviously, she's won Academy Awards. She's done all different kinds of movies. Everything from X-Men to rom-coms to very serious, dramatic roles. So she's got a lot of talent. But it felt like she wasn't really being used that much. And I think that's also kind of one of my problems with this movie. is, With the exception of the very, very end, which again we're not going to go into too much detail about, but... She kind of fails the sexy lamp test. Like, if you were to replace her with a sexy lamp anywhere in the movie, you'd still have the same storyline. I mean, this is very much Chris Pratt's role, very much Chris Pratt's story. And as much as I like him and he does a great job, I wish they would have given more for her to do. Aside from, you know, when... Well, I don't want to go into too much stuff, but... I also felt that there's some things in the end that they tried to pull off to redeem Chris Pratt, but at the same time, I don't think they really gave him a chance to go full circle and earn that, because... I mean, like I say, he, he literally sentenced her to death, so there's there's not much you could do that would redeem someone else. I don't know. I had, I had a problem with the ending, but and with the underuse and the, the way that Jennifer Lawrence was directed, but it's a gorgeous film. I mean, it's really beautiful. The the ship itself, the Avalon, is really cool. It's like this screw like spinning through space, like drilling towards this uh, planet they're going to. Um, and for at least the first half, it's it's a ton of fun. I still liked it. I still think... I, I did enjoy the ending, the very, very last kind of frames of the movie. I don't think they, the characters quite earned where they ended up. But talking about some of the visuals in this movie, I mean, there's there's one scene, and I, I won't give away what exactly we're talking about, Adam, but that one scene in the swimming pool, that's, oh, that's, that's, that's really trailers. confusing. Oh, that is. Okay. Yeah. okay. Uh, basically, so, there's ships malfunctioning for some reason. I don't know why. And uh, But gravity the same reason off. Chris Pratt... <laughs> broke up yeah and gravity goes off and jennifer lawrence is in the pool and she's stuck in the pool while that's that's scary and uh really well done and uh i i this was really beautiful i i felt it was i mean i'm exactly where you are i liked more than i disliked i had some problems with it i don't think you can get over the immorality of what Chris Pratt did. There are certainly those who take this movie and say, oh, well, you know, he, he should be completely unforgivable. And I'm like, yeah, he kind of is. People who walk away being like, oh, yeah, well, he's he's fine by the end. I, I don't know what movie you saw. I certainly didn't feel that way. I felt the movie kind of came around to this kind of pat ending where it itself was okay with it. But 
I certainly didn't walk away feeling like, oh yeah, he was fine. Every yeah. everyone's okay. It's it's perfectly all right that he that he woke her up and sentenced her to die with uh, with him. Just because it was necessary doesn't mean that it was right. And there's a there's a part uh, about two thirds of the way through where um, a conversation is had, and we're not going to go into details about it because you if you see it, you want to discover this for yourself. But this person tells Jennifer Lawrence's character that you know when a man is drowning, he'll reach out and grab whatever he can and pull them down with him. And that man was drowning. And I really wish the movie had kind of taken that moral conundrum and dealt more with it because it, you know, obviously she eventually finds out what happens and she almost kills him, actually. There's a scene where you wonder what's going to happen. But then it kind of switches gears and goes to almost like an action film and it never really answers or brings up those moral questions again. Uh, I don't know. I just I, I left feeling unfulfilled because... The whole point of the movie is the fact that he woke... For me, at least, the whole point was he made the horrible decision to wake her up and essentially sentence her to death. And then it's, it's dealt with briefly, and then it's, it, then it's done. Because, like, oh, you know, we have to go over here now and do this and use up our $200 million or whatever, $100 million budget. You know, it's... I, I wish it would have answered those questions more and been more philosophical. Just when you kind of get there, it completely goes off on a tangent and never comes back. This is one of those movies where you should go with a big group of friends and then make sure you have a couple of hours afterwards to go and talk about it somewhere. Like go to a coffee shop, go to go to a restaurant and sit down and talk about it because I think it brings up some really interesting issues. And yes, it's very entertaining and it's really cool to look at and it's a good movie. It's got some problems, but I think the conversations that you have with people afterwards are almost as valuable as the film itself yeah that's and that's something i haven't really gotten to do yet because no one i mean aside from our our film critic friends went and saw it with me so i kind of came back i'm like i want to talk to them about someone about this but i can't ah but no there's there's some great philosophical questions that are brought up uh and like you said this you could probably have more fun solving those riddles and solving those questions with your friends uh because the movie itself certainly doesn't do it for you so i'm gonna spend, i'm gonna go a 7.25 <laughs> so i've been vacillating Ooh. between 7 and 7.5 and like i said I, I walked out and i liked more than i didn't um but every single day that's gone on since i've seen it the more i think about it the varnish kind of wears off so i do want to see it again when it comes out you know on blu-ray and dvd uh i don't know if i'll buy it but it's definitely one i want to see a second time and I'm interested to get some friends' opinions when they see it too. Well, if you're going to go 7.25 and cheat that way, then I'm going to do the same thing. So I'm, a, I'm literally <laughs> at exactly the same place. I, I was going to go with just a straight seven because I've been reviewing movies for the end of the year, mm-hmm. and I'm like, I know what really good quality movies are. Thinking back over what we've seen, and especially with sci-fi, this is just not quite there. Such, we've had such good sci-fi, like Midnight Special and Arrival. I mean, we we've gotten yeah. some of the the best. Of, I mean, Rogue One. I mean, Rogue One. I mean, we've gotten some of the best of the best. Rogue One. And this just, oh, it feels like it, it wants to be there, but they just they didn't go far enough with it, and they didn't they didn't they took the easy route instead of answering the tough questions. Yeah, and and I think I mean when, we'll do our best of next week, but I mean even one of my favorite movies of the year, Captain America: Civil War, like took on those tough questions, and even though some of them were unanswered. I felt it came full circle and and came to a, a satisfying conclusion. Exactly. That this this didn't necessarily do, and it it tried to let its characters off the hook, but it didn't it didn't really. So there you go. 
So, speaking of off-the-hook characters, we're getting good at this. We've got the the romantic, raunchy Christmas comedy, Why Him? That's a combination you don't have most days. <laughs> <laughs> right? A very naughty, yeah. raunchy rom-com that takes place around Christmas. I think the last time we had that was... Bad Santa, and that wasn't even really much a rom-com, it was just a comedy. The one subplot in Love Actually with Martin Freeman, where they're playing okay, the porn yeah. extras. We can count that. There you go. Sure, we'll, we'll, we'll go with that one. So, okay, so, now, and I'm not going to spend too much time here, but, so, Andy, stop me if you've heard this, this story before. So, uh, girl's close to her father, girl goes to college, girl mm-hmm. meets a lovable loser, falls in love, the dad doesn't approve, mm-hmm. and... The lovable loser spends all the time trying to prove why he's a good guy to the dad, all while digging himself into a bigger hole. Until the very end, they all learn a lesson and everyone falls in love and is happy. Yeah, we, we've seen that movie a lot. I, I think there were how many movies with with the Fockers? Yeah, I mean, exactly. well, I mean, maybe only one good one, but, but still. <laughs> one yes, good one. That, maybe, that, maybe one and a half. Maybe one and a half. There are, there are many movies of this variety, yes. So that's that's pretty much why him in a nutshell. Uh, that being said, I mean, the moment you walk in this movie, you know where it's going. We've got James Franco is Laird Mayhew. He's the lovable loser who is uh, the boyfriend of Brian Cranston's daughter uh, named Stephanie, who's played by Zoe Dutch. And Brian Cranston is the overprotective father who's always been really close with his daughter. Now she's away at college and you now she's becoming her own woman and doing her own thing. The twist here, though, is that uh, James Franco's character isn't some loser. He's a, a multi-billionaire tech uh, whiz who invented a bunch of uh, mobile games and is now worth billions upon billions of dollars. So, on that side, he's you know he's got it all going for him. Oh. He's got a huge house. He's got you know all these people working for him. He's rich as hell. Um, but he's also very crude and has no social filter. So, his favorite word, which he uses probably every 10 seconds, is mother effer. Um, as a way oh, to make nice. the family, <laughs> as a way to make the family like him, he actually got their uh, their Christmas card tattooed on his back, uh, and didn't realize that he also got the Happy Holidays tattooed as well. Um, so yeah, he's just this he's this this really actually sweet nice guy. He just has no social filter. Uh, her uh, and then we've got uh, Brian Cranston's wife Barb is played by Mega Moly, which the one cool thing is she's her own character. She's not channeling Karen from Will and Grace. Although every now and then she gets to pull a bit of a Karen vibe. Uh, and I would say the, the best part of the whole thing, uh, Keegan-Michael Key plays Gustav, who is uh, pretty much the guy in charge of all of James Franco's properties. But there's this running gag where James Franco is worried he'll get abducted and kidnapped one day. So he'll just get randomly attacked by Keegan-Michael Key just to like, test to make sure to see what would happen in a real situation. So you'll be sitting there, and all of a sudden they'll be talking, having a serious conversation, and then Keegan Michael Key just flies out of nowhere and like kicks him in the head, and they start fighting and wrestling until one of them taps out. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> it's yeah, it's really weird. There's there's some really fun uh, cameos by um, Cedric the Entertainer, uh, Kaylee Cuoco, who is uh, what's her name Penny from Big Bang Theory. Penny. Yeah, she's yeah. the voice of like his. Uh, he's got his own like Siri built into his his whole house, it's like his own personal assistant. So she's just the voice. <laughs> just to have all kinds of funny like one-liners um you've got a cool cameo from uh, andrew reynolds and adam devine and it's just dirty as hell it's but at the same time it knows it is and it fully wears that hard r rating on its sleeve and just runs with it and i went in like i hadn't even seen the trailers but i was like yeah i 
Eddie saw it and he didn't want to come with me. The reason being, the trailers, most of what's in the trailers isn't actually in the movie, and the trailers are horrible. But this is funny as hell. Yes, you know where it's going, but I it, I haven't left a movie theater with my sides hurting from laughing in a very long time, um, but this is one of those. So I absolutely loved it. Uh, I'm surprisingly at an 8 out of 10, and this is one that I'm excited for it to come out on uh, so I can buy it because it's one I do want to watch every single Christmas season because it's just downright hilarious. That's great. Any Anytime Keegan-Michael Key shows up in, in little bits, I'm I'm always happy. Just as an aside, uh, we lost George Michael on, on Christmas Day, and uh, one very beautiful point earlier this year in movies that a lot of people missed is Keegan-Michael P- Key explaining why George Michael is totally gangster in the movie Keanu. Uh, if you haven't seen Keanu, <laughs> that was like the yeah, that, that was probably the best part of the movie is, is his obsession with, with, uh, George Michael and faith. So, uh, yeah, uh, go, go back. And if you're looking for a way to look back on the year and you missed that one, a uh, cute little movie about a cute little kitty, uh, with, with lots of guns and lots of swearing and lots of drugs and George Michael. Yeah. <laughs> So, but yeah, so that's uh, why him again. Su- surprisingly funny. I know I might I might be in the minority, but um, I sat there with a bunch of other grizzled critics, and we all laughed our asses off. Yeah, that's go- it's it's funny. Go see it while it's still there because it's it's flopping like crazy. So it's probably in, in the dollar theater oh, wow. right now. <laughs> um, but lastly, yeah, it, it it didn't make money at all. No one liked it, but me apparently. Um, but for a movie that's not going to make you laugh, uh, we have Fences, which is uh, based on the play by August Wilson, a Pulitzer Prize winning play, and stars uh, Denzel Washington and Viola Davis as uh, as a couple in 50s Pittsburgh. And Well, Andy, tell us about it. So Denzel plays Troy Maxson, a Pittsburgh garbage collector who used to play professional baseball in uh, in the Negro Leagues. But was never uh, called into the majors uh, because he played before Jackie Robinson. Uh, he's married to Rose, played by Viola Davis, and uh, they have a son living with them named Corey. Uh, Corey wants to play high school football and is being recruited to go play uh, for college. Uh, his father doesn't want him to because he's like, no, that that isn't going to help you. You need to learn a trade. These people are going to abandon you. And this is one of many issues between the father and the son uh, starting off. And that is just the acorn of this movie. It goes in yeah. all sorts of directions. But it essentially ends up being this beautiful morality play about fathers, sons, mothers, family, what family means, how family means different things. And man, this movie will make you cry. Something terrible. It is just amazing in in so many different ways. Viola Davis, best actress. I mean, this is this is hands down uh, I think the best performance I've seen all year. I'm trying to think of another of another performance that I've seen all year long in in a best actress category and I can't think of one and and Adam there's a scene and I think you know which one where she full on ugly cries and it oh yeah no and she just kills it me. is it is awful it just punches you in the heart 
in the stomach, in the head. And uh, yeah, like I said, not not going to be a, a dry eye in that theater. So much good here and uh, probably going to be nominated for all sorts of Oscars, probably including a Best Director for Denzel, so who who both stars in and directed this. Uh, and and also one of the, the best things about this movie is since it's based on a play, it feels very, quote unquote, theatrical. Uh, it it moves from it's very, very yeah, talky, but yeah. it, it keeps those set pieces very small. Almost all of this is in either the backyard or uh the main rooms of this one home and they rarely leave that um and so it feels very confining it feels very tight and i think that is totally intentional and you feel very confined very enclosed and uh the movie really gets to you by by playing up on that sense uh i'm just i'm just blown away by this adam what what did you think uh, th- this is a movie that you're you're gonna go see if you want to see some of the best action yep. of the year. Uh, we at the Utah Film Critic Association we gave Viola Davis uh, best supporting actress uh, for this role. Um, yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. It's there's so many there's so much going on, and it just shows you how nuanced and layers you know just a random person's life can be. I mean, this is a guy who's a garbage collector. He literally holds onto the back of a garbage truck when it stops, throws trash in there, and goes on his way. And you know, it, it makes you wonder, like, if you, you pass so many people in your life every single day, and especially, you know, like, working with the public, you know, like I do, and you get one brief second of contact, and then you makes you wonder, like, where do they, what's their home life like? You know, what's going on with them when they get there? Because this, this shows you just how how much can be happening in, in people's lives and how much one person's decisions can influence other people's uh, for both good and bad. And, I mean, this, this isn't a movie where Denzel Washington is a hero. I mean, there's... The, there's a lot of things that kind of come to light and he does throughout the film that leave you with a bitter taste in your mouth towards the end but there's a really great scene when uh, Viola Davis is talking to their son and says just how much of his father he has in him and this and that and um, it also brings to mind the fact that you always become your parents no matter how hard yeah. you try not to or what you try to do differently yeah. there's always going to be a spark with a menu uh, and again that's something you should look at for good or for bad because I mean everyone makes mistakes and I think for me personally, it was a couple years ago. My mom, you know, apologized for something that she did when I was a kid. She's like, "Oh, I should have let you do this, or I shouldn't have done that." And I was like, "But I was finally to the point in my life where my parents were more than just oh, it's just like an authority figure. They were also like more like mentors now, because I can go to them and we can talk about things, and they can, they can come to me for things now. And so it's really interesting when you when you get to that level of maturity with your parents, and that if your relationship takes that route where you see them that way, and you see just how much. You've absorbed the good from them, and hopefully you've you've kind of kept the bad out. But the bad's always there, and the bad can come back and and bite you if you're not careful. But no, this is some of the best acting you'll see. It's a very very sad story. Um, we went up to my mother-in-law's for <laughs> for Christmas yesterday, and brought some screeners to to show everyone. And <laughs> we decided on a double header of Manchester by the Sea and Fences. So, <laughs> oh no, you didn't. <coughs> they made a choice. Oh, I, had enough, I was like, you guys choose what you want. I'm not making any decisions here. Um, Wow. So it wasn't it wasn't the most uplifting of times during the day, but Christmas brought to you by the Kleenex Corporation. <laughs> um but yeah, Denzel not only does a fantastic job directing, um this is probably one of the best uh the best acting I've seen by someone who's directing themselves, which I couldn't do, so good good for him for doing it. Um it did help that they both Viola Davis and Denzel Washington 
recently did this uh, play as a revival on Broadway, so they were very, very familiar with the uh, with the material. And August Wilson, before he passed away, actually wrote the screenplay, so I, I'm pretty sure we'll be seeing some um, Oscar love for him. The only complaint yeah. I have, and it's a tiny complaint, and it's just me being nitpicky, is you mentioned before how this plays out like a play on screen, and it does almost to the point where it blurs the line between being a movie and just a reenactment of the play. Um, me, personally, I love theater, so it's not a huge problem for me, but I know there have been some people out there who said, you know, this this... I wanted to go see a movie, not a play. And so for some, it may be a sticking point. I loved it, though. I mean, I sat down and watched it twice. So uh, I don't really want to watch it again because it's it's depressing. But um, I, I think it's one of the best of the year. Yeah, that, that's why I said it's it's very, quote-unquote, theatrical. And, and the other thing about that and the complaint that I have is because of that, when you go to the theater to a play and you're going to get a couple of acts and an intermission, you're ready to be there for three hours. This is a long movie. It's, it's two hours and 20 minutes long and it, it is a slog. It is very hard um, because the material is so challenging and looking back on it, it's hard to say, Oh yeah, they should have cut this. You should have cut this, which is usually very easy to do in saying that a movie is too long. It's just that this is such an epic piece and it's so intense uh you're gonna have to brace yourself and be ready uh to give it its full attention for that time and if you don't that it's gonna be a little hard for you yeah and i i've never seen the 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 play live but with most live theater you get an intermission and a, a second to kind of catch your breath and you know kind of capture your composure back this movie could definitely use that. So it was nice to be able to watch it at home where I could pause it and go use the restroom or make a drink or do something. But yeah, it's, uh, it is a bit too long, but at the same time, there's nothing I could say you could cut out because every single thing that happens is vital to the story and vital to what happens in these people's lives. So yeah, I, I'm at a nine out of 10. I think it's fantastic. It's one of the best of the year. I don't think it is the best of the year, but we definitely see, Not quite. we definitely have, some of the best acting I've seen all year. Yeah, I'm at I'm at the exact same place, nine out of ten. And and to cap both my comment about it being long and tie it back to an earlier criticism, it it's only five minutes longer than Assassin's Creed. So <laughs> there's at least that. <laughs> Assassin's Creed was was two hours and twenty minutes of bad. This was two hours and twenty minutes of very good. So uh, yeah, nine out of ten. Viola Davis, all the Oscars. Um, definitely, definitely Denzel for director, possibly for actor, and and adapted screenplay. Just really amazing all around. And and for people who might view this as oh well. This is a story about African Americans. This is a this is a black story. This is black theater. This story is so universal, and yeah, that's what makes it so beautiful yeah. and so perfect. Yeah, it's yes, it it is a slice of life in post war America, in in Pittsburgh. It nails its time and place and characters extremely well but this is a story that could be told in 2016 with a suburban white family in orange county so this this could be anyone anywhere anytime it's it's one of the best things out in theaters right now uh also coming out in theaters this week is a similar movie that we reviewed 
several weeks ago, Hidden Figures, which you should also seek out because it will also probably end up on uh, a lot of the Oscar radar as well. Cool. So, yeah, so overall, some really good movies this week uh, and two mediocre tries. Uh, next week, we're going to be back with our best movies of the year. And I was incorrect. There actually are movies coming out this week. Um, we've got Patterson and 20th Century Woman. So um, we'll be talking about those and giving you a rundown of the best movies of the year. Uh, but until then, hail Satan and have a lovely afternoon. Mm-hmm.